Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift for the World Championships Men's Road Race from Helensburg to Wollongong, 267 kilometres. I'm struggling to pronounce even Australian place names now. What does that say about me? And we have one longer climb on the parkour, Mount Kira, 7.5K, 6%, but that's 220K from the finish. Um, Maybe could have been some more of them. And then 12 repetitions of Mount Pleasant, which isn't nominative determinism. It is quite steep, actually. 1K, 9%, and the last uh, climb crest about 9 kilometers from the finish. So a circuit around Wollongong, sunny conditions, very, very different weather, actually, to the women's race yesterday, which was cool and rainy. Not cold, but cool. Today was very sunny. Uh, and warm actually I was up here in in Sydney is very very different so that decreased in my view Pagacha's chances uh, increased Alaphilippe's chances uh, but before we get into the news of the day mention uh, more on our show partner Zwift in case you haven't seen Zwift are trying to change or will change the trainer market they're bringing out the Zwift hub which is the most affordably priced trainer of its quality, I believe, hitting the market on sale from the 3rd of October, making indoor training cheaper and easier to set up than any other trainer on the market. It comes with a cassette of your choice, 8 to 12 speeds, Shimano, SRAM or Campact. There's videos on how to set it up on Swift's YouTube channel and even helpful stickers on the trainer to set it up with your bike. So if you want to find more about Swift, head to Zwift.com and check out the new trainer or sign up for a free seven-day trial if you already have one. But the big news of the day, in fact, was before the race even started or Europeans woke up to the news, which was that Mathieu van der Poel had been arrested. So maybe Benji... Could you run us through the timeline and chronology of what happened in this, frankly, bizarre story? In the order that I found it, sports are reported that a 27-year-old, likely Vanderpool, was taken into police custody overnight. This means an Australian night, so significantly before the European night. Then reports by Saivo Shi of VeloNews confirmed that Matthew Vanderpool was indeed the person involved and that it was... That he was involved in an altercation with two teenagers who had been knocking on his hotel room on Saturday evening, the night into Sunday, the day of the World Championships. So basically, that's what we know at that point. Apparently, he was actually, according to Rothoft, taken to the police station at midnight and was only back at 4 a.m. So his night before the World Championships completely ruined. So he was basically taken into custody, arrested and reportedly charged with two counts of common assault. I don't know what that means. Perhaps you might know that. And I also read that his passport is confiscated and he needs to appear in court in two days in Australia. So 
that's not ideal. And it had a consequence on the race, of course, because 30 kilometers into the race, he abandoned. And let's be honest about it. It's very likely as a consequence of what happened overnight. What's your take on all of this? Yeah. And like, it's not just the sleep aspect of it. Like, of course, even without sleep, MVDP can make it further than 25 k's into this race but imagine the stress and what's going on first the actual event and then getting arrested out of nowhere probably from his perspective um so we don't know what's happened exactly it's still like there's no video of it um at least not that has seen public eye it's a he said see he said she said vanderpool says he didn't i believe he said he didn't touch them and push them and they said he did he um he just said he asked them not so nicely to stop knocking on his door and what's bizarre about this is like in case you don't know the, the worlds are in Wollongong which is a separate place to Sydney his hotel is next to the airport in Sydney in Brighton the Sands which is not even in the Shire um Sutherland Shire um which is like the deep south of Sydney it's in Brighton the Sands, like an hour from Wollongong. So, also as a you know, majority of our listeners are not Australian. So to explain to you, like cyclists are not um, probably not treated the same way as maybe MVDP would be treated in the Netherlands. Like you may be a top tier athlete there, but in Australia, you know, you're just another cyclist on the road. I think. Wout and Sturvin have said something similar about their experience uh, on the road here in Australia, which is unfortunate. Um, but yeah, that's bizarre. The first thing, they're in a random hotel in Brighton the Sands, like not even near Wollongong. Um, and yeah, just the fact that MVDP is going to be in the Sutherland Shire, in the Shire Court, like uh, anyone else on a Saturday night sort of getting called up for assault on Tuesday he's gonna be in the court which is bizarre my wife grew up in the shire uh in early years so yeah just so so bizarre again we don't know exactly what happened I would say like yeah I can understand from his perspective it's like facing the biggest you know biggest event of your life tomorrow and you're getting woken up and it just seems like a lot of people have handled it the wrong way he he has um, people knocking on his door shouldn't be doing that. The hotel, maybe the police. It's just not a great situation. It seems to have escalated out of nothing. In general, every single time you mention the Shire, I'm thinking about hobbits in the Lord of the Rings. But I'll take it as a Belgian here as well. Nonetheless, when it comes to Vanderpool, it's definitely not an ideal situation going into the race, and it showed off during the race. And obviously, it has its effects as well. You know, first of all. When it comes to like hotel management and so forth, I think that's done by the Dutch Federation. So perhaps bad management could have been the reason that he ended up in a hotel like that. I don't know that. We don't know the specific reasons behind the scenes, but I think it's been mentioned a few times across Dutch media that that is a, a potential reason that he was in a corridor with other people that were having lots of noise and so forth and being annoying and so forth. But next to that, there's also, I think he he spent like, was it 20k or something on on his plane towards Australia and to then end up in a hotel that is pro very meh from what I can hear. It's like so counterproductive for your riders as well. And I don't know, would it have been better if he flew economy and then had a better hotel instead? 
Uh, I wouldn't recommend the economy flight having just done it, um, especially if you need to use your legs afterwards. I don't really need to use mine too much. I just use my mouth. Um, I don't know. It's bizarre. Like when I heard the hotel was in Brightland Sands, not like I'm not saying necessarily like it's a terrible hotel. I mean, it's just not in Wollongong. Like at least a hotel in Wollongong would be aware, okay, these athletes shouldn't, should be on a certain floor or whatever, or be aware at least that you got a top favorite for the world championships. Ultimately, um, it's a bit embarrassing, I would say, for Australia in Wollongong, having a top favorite essentially harassed and then arrested. Now, of course, he's, it sounds like he's overreacted and, you know, maybe he will get found guilty as well. So, He's obviously, again, on the other side, like we joke about Brandon Rivera, about Uri Sagan, but like roommates like that actually, they make a difference to the top stars' lives and can help avoid these situations uh, as well. So big shame for the race, how it changed the race. I think Netherlands basically had a free roll with no top leader. They had no one really to ride for. Uh, Enkhorn got some freedom and it meant there was just one less team willing, I think, to chase Belgium's moves or France moves. They were just getting in them. Yeah, and I think that it also just basically makes it that they want to go earlier in the race. Like you mentioned, there's more free rolls. Like in Enkhorn, he can have a free roll. Van Baal is probably having the same. Uh, about Pools and Molema trying to go for their own chances, trying to get into moves quite a bit. And we saw that in this race as well, basically. As... The Dutch team was doing exactly that in today's race. So Van der Poel's leaving of the race certainly had his effect on this race when it comes to the tactics of the Dutch team and as a consequence also on whatever other tactics worked in this race. But I'm guessing that brings us to the start of the actual race. Unfortunately, indeed, Van der Poel is out. But plenty of action at the start regardless. We went to Mount Kira and that's the place where, let's be honest about it, I was not expecting much on Mount Kira because I thought this is very early on in the race, but France decided, nah, let's make this fun. France decided to go on Mount Kira after a break initially already formed at the front of the race with like low-key riders like Ayaka Primozic, that BTEC Primoz we spoke about in the preview for Slovenia. And then we also have Juraj Sagan, just like in the slow, no, the Olympic road race. I think he was also in the breakaway, just like 11 riders like that in the breakaway initially. But on Mount Kira, France turns on the oven and creates a massive second group. They started pacing at the front of the peloton. And I think it was Maduas or Armirai or Pacher pacing, one of the three, I'm not certain. And a group starts forming, which is gigantic, like literally gigantic. 30 riders roughly, five of which are French. Bardet, Sivakov, Pacher, Armirai, Maduas, two from Belgium, Fanat and Seri, which is odd because you'd expect an Avenapool to be the one going into these earlier moves like he did last year at 200k to go, for example. But today he was not there with 200k to go. It was Fanat and Seri being in that group, O'Connor and Platt for Australia, Pogacar in that group already for Slovenia, the lone leader already in the move and actively working with that group who missed this group? A Kosnefa, an Alaphilippe, an Evenepoel, a Binyam, a Matthews, and so forth. Now, my question to you is, when you see this group occur, first of all, my question is, what was France thinking? And also, is it an overreaction from Van Aert and Pogacar to already go into this move? I don't really... I've been thinking of what France's plan was for the entirety of today. 
Um, I think they were trying to do what they did in Leuven last year, which is make the race overall really hard. Um, and then hope Cosnefrau or Alaphilippe would be good. I couldn't really elucidate a plan from them, to be honest, because it was like, yeah, smash, create splits, and then not continue on with it after it had a decent gap, and then no one else was going to continue on with it. I didn't really, I didn't really get it. I again, you don't know the condition of Alaphilippe, like. I assumed when I saw that, I was like, oh, he must be in good shape. I, maybe they're trying to bait Avonapol into attacking with 200 Ks to go, like, like he attacked last year and made a similar mistake. I don't know. Um, Slovenia, yeah, Pog, like he has no, he has Tratnik pretty much. So I think he needed to be a little more conservative with his efforts. Um, so I was surprised to see Pogaccia so active early, actually. Yeah, I think so as well. And especially when the group was already looking like it wasn't going to make it that far. To be honest, at a certain point, it looked like it was. The breakaway that I spoke about initially with that Juraj Sagan and Primozic and so forth, those 11 riders were two minutes ahead of this group that I just formed with Pogacar, Van Aert, Bardet and so forth. And they had two minutes on the peloton at a certain point after Mount Kira going over to the first Mount Pleasant, for example. So that was a significant gap, but then a vital aspect happens. Cooperation in that G2, in that Pogacar group, kind of stagnates a bit, and we get a small attack off the front with five riders. Sivakov, a Frenchman, Serie Belgian, O'Connor and Plapp, the two Australians, and Battistella for Italy. So that's quite a few riders from that group that get ahead, quite a few countries that are not going to pace in the second part of that second group now. The group that is now Pogacar is now behind those five riders who are behind the breakaway. And... In all honesty, the cooperation didn't really work out in that Pogacar group anymore. And they started falling further and further towards the peloton who was led by Germany. And <laughs> Germany's like that one side <laughs> yeah. character in a show that the writers of the show wrote down just to make sure that the plot goes a certain way. Because I swear they have had George Zimmerman who could like top 15, top 20 this race on his best day. And outside of that, they've got nothing of value here. And they were the most prominent team facing in the peloton today. Why? <laughs> uh, Nicky Assad, maybe. He's not. Where did he, did he finish? Oh, 52nd. I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know. They took it upon themselves. I mean, good on them. I thought it was going to be other teams earlier, but so many of them were represented ahead. Yeah. I mean, good on Germany. Zimmerman crashed, I think, uh, later. And Spain were pretty active too. They're going for Garcia Cortina top 10 uh, for UCI points. Probably unlikely to win. But we can kind of shoot forward. When that Pogaccio move all comes back, then there's the group ahead. It really, nothing happens. Dens tries to go with, I think, Lechnison, uh, my dark horse, and he doesn't make it. Sad times for me. He comes back. And we go to like the fifth last Mount Pleasant. 60Ks, oh, 65Ks to go, not sure exactly, but we're still a fair way out. France goes again with Bardet, Seneschal, and Pacher. Sivakov's ahead. He's been in the break all day. The gap has been taken down from seven minutes to three minutes now to two minutes. And they can form a large group with Avonapol, De Wolf. And Quinton Hermans. So Belgium have Avonapol, the long attack option, a top five favourite for the race. Quinton Hermans, who can sprint. 
Anatomistique Dulf and Serie ahead. And France are happy with that group composition with Pacher, who, okay, I liked him in the Vuelta break stages. He still didn't get the job done in those. And Bardet, this doesn't finish uphill. This doesn't finish on the murder wheel. You finish in the flat. Like, I did not understand what France were doing. Not, And I get make the race hard. That's fine. You make Avonapol go with you and Alaphilippe and Cosnefran and Laporte sit behind. That's fine. But then you see the group composition and Seneschal gets on the front and, and he just pulls this gap open to like two minutes and France are happy behind. And maybe... I don't know. Maybe Lefebvre, there's a little kickback for your boy. I don't know, a quick step, but I don't think so. I, I, I'm not sure. I think it was for France and kind of mind-blowing to me that basically Pogaccia, Cosnefra, Alaphilippe, Laporte all let Avonapol get two free minutes, two and a half free minutes whilst nothing happens behind and poor old Spain or Britain start chasing and Wout sits in. Um, and, yeah, so I think mainly Benji is France that stuffed it because I think if the Netherlands were here, it's slightly different. I think Van Baal either shuts that move down or MVP goes with Remco. I think MVP doesn't underestimate Remco. Um, yep. And I think the French strategy also here really stuffed Christophe Laporte's chances as well, who... I think Alaphilippe would have known by this point he might not have it. I agree with that aspect. I think there's multiple aspects to every single country here. I agree that France is the major mistake in this thing because not only do they make the group, they also continue that, like you mentioned, with Seneschal who keeps on riding after the group is formed, expanding that gap. Switzerland is another team that paces to expand that gap. The law was in the initial breakaway, drop back to that group and pace for Mauro Schmidt, my pick, who... Rode an amazing race today. I'm going to be honest about it. Mauro Schmidt, absolute goated ride today. And Switzerland rides, which is, in my opinion, clever because they can actually get something out of their race. There's no point for them not to race because their best rider, arguably, is in that group right now. So I find that a usual, normal thing. Pogacar's response was sending Tratnik with the group of Evenepoel, which is kind of what we expected. But you mentioned as well in the preview exactly what played out eventually here that sending Tratnik with Evenepoel won't fix your problem. Evenepoel is still ahead, and you won't have Tratnik to pace behind Evenepoel after this moment happens. So exactly what you predicted in the preview is what Slovenia did, and it basically ruined their race for them in terms of being able to get Pogacar to anywhere from this point onwards. Because an MQ Evenepoel's group kept expanding the gap because the peloton was not riding that crazy anymore, Germany's still pacing, because <laughs> that's the constant throughout the day. Netherlands pacing, despite Ancorn being in that group, because I guess they didn't 100% trust Ancorn as well. Spain also being a team that somewhat was pacing, and I think they were doing quite a bit, actually, because Soler was their leader for the day. Uh, they were doing so in the peloton behind. Now, that's a situation that we have at the moment on the road. So we have those initial breakaway riders about to be caught by the Avonapool group, and then we've got roughly two minutes towards the peloton group that is behind. And then we come to a situation, I think, is the, the fourth last Mount Pleasant, where the Wolf, I don't think, was in that group anymore at the fourth last Mount Pleasant. I think Quinton Hermans was doing a lead out on that climb for them, Kuevenepool. 
And then Emko Evenpool attacks like just before the top. And I don't think that's the right moment to attack on the climb if you do want to attack as your Emko Evenpool. Yes, on paper, you have the strong engine to attack on a wide road and so forth. But in a descent, you won't get that much on other riders. So I think he would have been better off attacking on the climb if he wanted actual separation. But he waited until the actual top to make that move. Not only that, because he makes that move, other riders like a Seneschal who was pacing all the time stops pacing with him. So that's not ideal at all. And not only does he do that once on the Mount Pleasant there, he does that again on the valley afterwards, completely ruining cooperation until the likes of City comes back a while later and the gap already came down a bit from the peloton to like 1 minute 40 at that point. So how did you see the situation? Was it clever from Evenepoel to attack at this point? Um, I was surprised because there was no pressure from the peloton. So I thought, oh, just wait, keep your teammates around you and keep thinning it out each climb and Sivakov will drop eventually because he's been in the break and then go second last and hit him. But he wanted to get away earlier, kept trying. I thought at this point there should have been panic in the chase group behind from basically any team that isn't Belgium. And yeah. even still, people were kind of living in like a some sort of delusional scenario where like uh, Remco would just come back from 2.30 ahead. Like I didn't – because, again, yeah, once he drops everyone in the group, then you're fucked. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. Lushenko attacked. There was some finessing, but because they had such a big gap, Belgium didn't have to just go on the front and pace. Remco didn't have to. It was such a big gap. They could just time their moments. Lushenko goes, Avenable brings him back himself, and Hermes is sitting at the back of the group. I was like, Quinton, you need to get on the front, buddy. Um, but then Avenable goes again. Lushenko gets in his wheel, and it was kind of on these flatter sections where he puts, when he's going 55, giving no draft, it puts the doubt in Lorenzo Rota's mind, in Battistella's mind, in Schmidt's mind, do I, do I really want to chase on the flat? And they didn't. He got. And once you see the actual separation, group dynamics take over behind eventually as he holds the gap at like five to seven seconds. And that just goes out to 30. And this race is done because he drops uh, Lutschenko on a rise not too long later. And with however long to go, over a lap to go, like I don't know what it was, 25, 30 Ks, maybe longer, uh, Remco just goes solo and Wells is a wrap. So not that actually exciting a finish, to be honest. You, we've seen it in San Sebastian. We've seen it in Liège, best on Liège. You, you don't bring him back once he has a gap like this. It's one thirty, and the peloton was still not chasing. Schmidt, Schelmoser, and uh, Rota formed a chase group behind, uh, trying to catch up to Lutschenko. They eventually catch up to him. They then start finessing terribly. Ankorn does an Annemiek van Vlerten move, but that's brought back <laughs> by Schmidt. They then stop Tratton. It comes back. He then attacks them, and that stops the action. And then from nowhere, from minutes back, I don't know who was pacing them. All we saw was a couple of Betiol attacks marked by Wout, even Wout attacking at one point um, and then stopping was the group behind, and Christophe Laporte destroys everyone in the sprint coming second with Matthews third, Wout actually coming fourth, Trenton fifth, Christoph sixth, again seventh, quite a 2015's world champs top 10, Betty all eighth, <laughs> Hayton ninth, Schelmoser unlucky in 10th. He might have, he missed out on a medal there. So 
yeah, Remco World Champ, Benji. And, like, there wasn't even any tension about it. Yeah, Belgium once again after 2005, Tom Bonin in my lifetime, Schilberg in 2012, and I think Musset was before my time. I've born, I was born in 79, I think he did it in 69. No, 97 and 96. You were born Sorry. in 1979. <laughs> no, I'm not. Holy. I'm not. <laughs> Slight mistake right there. <laughs> but uh, that's the uh, third Belgian world champion I've seen in my lifetime, and in a fascinating way as well. I do think that the tactics of other teams played perfectly into Belgium's race because not only did France launch them quick in the pool's move, they also basically never had to pace Belgium in the peloton because in the Olympics, Greg van Avermaet was pacing from the first second, for example. In every world championships, Belgium controls the peloton. There's everything to control it. And here we didn't have to do that as a Belgian nation. And I think that helps a lot into this race, despite having two of the favorites for this race as well in the list. And I find it shocking how easy them Quavenpool was able to just slip in a move by France and they just went with it. Like, they just went with it. I can't believe that. I can't wrap my head around it. But what a year for them Quavenpool in both Belgium, you know, because them Quavenpool wins LBL, wins the Vuelta, wins World Championships. And let's not forget about the legendary... Algarve, pretty sure he won that. Anyway, that's also a racy one. What a season from an MQA Evenepoel. Is it MQA Evenepoel the most successful pro cyclist male from 2022? Yeah, yeah. He's Grand Tour Monument World Champs. Hard to go past. Because Jonas, uh, he won the Tour. I don't believe you get it just for winning the Tour. You have to do something else. He... Yeah, he just just he won a Dauphiné stage in the Tour. Um, Henley won the Giro. MVP won Flanders and nothing else really. Uh, Roubaix was Van Baal, so it has to be Remco because Pogaccia won, um, Torino, Montreal, some TDF stages. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's easily Remco. It's not even close. Like his season this year and it goes to show the tactics of belgium like when you have wout behind and remco ahead it's almost unstoppable like this is what they should have done in Leuven last year um it's unstoppable yeah. and i think yeah pun if we compare it to last year last year we had the same situation even a pool being ahead with other riders and wout finard and belgium started chasing Remco's attack. And this year we have the opposite where they don't do that move and Remco wins. Now, I do think Remco this year is stronger than last year, but I do think that the situation last year would have been better if Remco stayed up ahead. And I think this year Heike proves that. And another thing I, I'd like to mention when it comes to uh, Fanada and Evenepoel, Evenepoel wrote the time trial and won the World Championships. Turns out that is possible. Did you know that? Yeah, but Remco won it in in the same way, doing it basically. He did the same TT um, in the road race and maybe Wout was going for punch and sprint. I don't know. I do think Remco also has himself to blame completely for Lurvin too. Like no one forced, put a gun to his head, I don't think, and said go and initiate and pace yourself with hundreds. 100 plus k's to go and we didn't see that today he wasn't pulling with that when that move went compare and contrast 
Seneschal's on the front pacing today. He's sitting in until he starts actually attacking the group when the gap is stable. So very different for him. Um, and, yeah, it was – I think he now has World Champs fans for one of the shortest times ever because Worlds is in August straight after the tour before the Vuelta next year. Um, but just to reiterate, this isn't hindsight. Like, you, you fly Cosnefroy out – with and you know I love Benoit, but Australia is not a francophone country. Has Benoit ever won a race in a non-francophone country? Let me just check quickly. No, Benoit's never won a race where people don't speak French. So, and then he's flown <laughs> over really late for, <laughs> as well. Is this your theory? Well, <laughs> because I mean, the country is not French. <laughs> well, he doesn't speak French. Win. He can win in Quebec. Is that why he lost Amstel? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the percentage of people speaking French is just simply not high enough. And um, and then Alaphilippe clearly wasn't on. He was dropped, actually. Maybe he gave up, but he was dropped and really had no impact on the race at all from the Wout group chasing, which had legit sprinters in it, like Sagan and Christoph, and we all know the season Sagan's had. And they, they, they did not ride for Laporte at all. At all. And it's arguable that Christophe Laporte has been the highest level French rider in big one-day races this year, if you factor in that he's been having to ride for Wout a lot of the time. So, yeah, I was really surprised that Christophe the door didn't get um, – yeah, they didn't change. I guess it was too late to change him. But, yeah, he won that sprint easily. Um, and I think he could have been world champion – Nah, that's not true. Because if Remco if Remco wasn't ahead, then the race is more open. But still, something to think about. Yeah, certainly. But I also need to think about that group that was ahead, for example, ahead of the peloton and got caught in the last kilometer. They really didn't get what they deserved from this race. But it also was because of their playing tactics in that group that they eventually got caught. So there's kind of like the balance between they deserve more, but their final kilometer didn't deserve more. But... The likes of Mauro Schmidt, Skelmose, those riders in that group, Rota rode a very good race, and they basically get nothing in return. Skelmose at least gets a top 10. Schmidt gets a, a 17th spot, which does not represent this race at all. And we see the likes of a, a Christoph, an Alexander Christoph, a Peter Sagan in that top 10. Invisible riders that all day. We, we didn't see them at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> amazing. I love that. And can we make another clip that says, is Peter Sagan back or is it not, not right yet? <laughs> um, no, no, I'm not doing the Peter Sagan's back. You're being by Trenton in the sprint. <laughs> he, he beat Petiol and Hayter. So, and Skelmers had got caught. So, nah, we're not there yet. Maybe he's got to do, if he wins like, um, I don't know, Parry Tour, will he, will he be back in time for Parry Tour? If he comes second in that, I might be able to, we could, could do a clip on that, I guess. But Matthews, Again, invisible, but tactics perfect. I think he came third. Um, I think that's a really good result. He should be happy with 400. I mean, first of all, it's a medal for Australia. And I think going into this race, any medal for Australia in this race with the with the start list is a huge ask. And he achieved yeah. that. So that's really, really good. And also 400 UCI points for bike exchange. So they are pretty much saved from relegation um that's like another 40 percent of their gap on lotto increase so 
that's big. Betiol uh, takes 150 and Powerless 30. So EF got a few points to maybe a little bit more, than, a little less than they would hope. Garcia Cortina, 85. So does relegation. Uh, Cofidis and Arkea are the teams that really missed out on world champs and are the only ones that I think, to be honest, I think it's Lotto and Israel that are going down. But yeah, that's also the game within the game. But yeah, any last thoughts on world champs, Benji? Um, well, we've got a few minutes uh, on the overall world championships in Wollongong before Glasgow next year. I think that I enjoyed the parkour more than Leuven last year. Please don't, please don't throw me out, Belgium. That's, please don't throw what, me out. What do you mean? <laughs> I enjoyed the parkour more than Leuven last year. It felt more, I don't know, I like the wider roads a lot more than the narrow roads. Does that make sense? No. Because <laughs> last year the men's race was a thousand times better. <laughs> or maybe it would have been boring if Belgium got the tactics right. I don't know. Um Last year's race was pretty good. Um, I guess it was safer, and I think a pretty safe course. I can't remember. Zimmerman doesn't agree. There were crashes, of course, but he crashed in a straight line <laughs> on, and yeah. overlapped his wheel. Um, and Annemiek van Vleuten crashed for, yeah, no one really knows. Oh, she dropped her chain. But, yeah, in terms of the world's, yeah, like I think it was – uh, listen, I don't think too many of the riders will be thinking, "Wow, what a great world champs!" I'm so glad we, <laughs> uh, we, I'm so glad we went down to Australia to get honked out by cars or arrested by police, even if it was their fault. Um, or yeah, a lot of them just sat in the peloton and Remco rode away from them. So, um, I guess for <laughs> riders like Annemiek van Vleuten, it was fine. I think so as well. Now. There's one aspect to it. Molomo didn't get attacked by a bird today, so I arguably went for Netherlands in that aspect. But I would also say that the fact that a Vanderpool misses out on a world championship, so Van Aert misses, uh, misses out on becoming world champion and so forth, knowing that the Glasgow parkour, we've mentioned it a tiny bit when it comes to our women's recap at the end of it, is a bit similar. Less altitude meters, 277 kilometers or something. We'll go into it deeper later. But it's very similar in the punchy style thing like the uh, Trentin European champs. It's that same like loop that they have or very similar loop that they have. And we saw Vanderpool and Van Aert going there. But it's now between the Tour and the Vuelta next year. How do you see that when it comes to the schedule of Van Aert and so forth? Might he skip the Tour de France for that? But can he do the Giro knowing that he does the classic so closely before that? That's also difficult. It's going to be difficult to schedule with that World Championships after the Tour. Make Laporte and Van Baal classics leaders with Tratnik and, yeah, get Wout to target GC. If he wants to target GC at some point in his career, next year is the year to do it with, I, we don't know the parkour yet, but with <laughs> um, into the Giro, you could do other stage races, take loads of stages, try and get, try and win a GC. I uh, know that's probably not going to be the plan. Um, but I disagree. The classic, you don't think you should do Roubaix, that? Roubaix, mate. I can't, I can't get over it. He needs to win Roubaix at some point. I can't get over it. He needs to, but <laughs> when does the Giro <laughs> and Roubaix overlap? Didn't MVDP do Roubaix both? I think is more important than the Giro. I don't know about that. 
<laughs> I think one day races are a little bit, little bit overrated. They only last for one day um, versus twenty one. <laughs> um, Your logic today is flawless. <laughs> well, yeah, twenty one times more important. Uh, yeah, I think doing the tour plus worlds is going to be very difficult. We see at San Sebastian, La, the riders that do the tour often struggle. It's maybe the same time afterwards. I wonder what happens to San Sebastian. Um, Ghana, I think, cannot do the tour and should focus on World's TT and the classics maybe and the Giro. I don't know. Um, what sort of course is it? Christoph Laporte looks good for him too. Actually, <laughs> looks a really good Mess course. Mats Pedersen, mate. Pedersen, yeah. That's a good question. Where does Mats Pedersen come today? Second, I Ooh. think. Top 10. Oh, top 10. I mean, you're, you're <laughs> right. Uh, Sagan came eighth. <laughs> you're <laughs> Sagan came eighth? <laughs> well, I mean, maybe. Yeah, I think <laughs> Pedersen, yeah, probably would have come second, I would say. Um, yep. So... Silver medal, save the legs. I don't know. Anyway, that was the world champs. Let us know what you thought. How did you cope with the time zones? Uh, if you're watching and not in Australia, if you were in Australia and you did attend the race, um, let us know what you felt the atmosphere was like. Did you enjoy attending it? Uh, the circuits, you know, you get to see the riders 10, 12 times. But otherwise, we have a transfer recap dropping on Monday or Tuesday, reacting to the Adam Yates news. And uh, otherwise, we will have maybe some Italian semi-classics content too because Emilia uh, has a pretty good stylist usually and it's quite a good race. So stay tuned for that. But for now, that's all from the World Champs. Ciao.